Hezekiah Youth Camp 2022 is now past. And the theme of that camp was Israel's Wilderness Journey. Our speaker spoke on various aspects of that journey. So candidate Isaac Epp spoke on the distractions, the temptations, and the dangers of the journey. Pastor Overdoon spoke on the deliverer on the journey. My topic was manna. And I was asked to speak on along the same lines here this morning. So that's what we will do. We will look this morning at, at manna. Children, you, you've all heard about the manna in the wilderness. You know what that word means? Manna? It's actually a Hebrew word, mana, and it means, what is this? That's what, ever you read the word manna in the Bible, that's what you should be thinking. What is this? In Exodus 16, verse 15, that's what they called it because they did not know what it was. They found it there on the ground and they were puzzled. Even though the Lord had said to Moses in in verse 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. It was their daily bread to nourish them, to nourish their physical bodies. But that's not all it was. It pointed to something else. That manna in the desert was a picture, a symbol of something else. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Moses said to the people, God humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know and your fathers didn't know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So you learn from that 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 manna in the wilderness symbolizes the Word of God. That's what it's a symbol of, the Word of God. Jesus said that too in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But there was even more to it than that. Yes, it symbolized the written word of God, but something more than that. In John 6, the Pharisees come to Jesus and and they want to tell him, our fathers ate the manna in the desert. We, We are descendants of Abraham, our father, and Moses was our father. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven, and then Jesus answered them. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the true bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Later on in that chapter, he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will never hunger. So that manna in the desert represented the Word of God, 
the written Word of God as you have it in your Bibles, and the life-giving presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, both of those are essential for spiritual life. Just like manna was essential to physical life for the Hebrews in the desert, so the Word of God and the Son of God are essential for spiritual life in the desert of this world. And both the Word of God and the Son of God are available to us. If we want spiritual life, we must seek God's manna, the Word of God and the Son of God. And when we, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, eat that living bread, we will live forever, forevermore. Our text then, this morning, is Exodus 16. Now, we won't have time to go into detail of the whole chapter. It's too long for that. But we'll be learning lessons from the whole chapter. Let me just read verse 4 at this time, then we have an idea of, of where we're going. Verse 4, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So the, the theme is manna from heaven on the wilderness journey. First, first some lessons from the manna. And then the, the idea of fresh manna every day. And then thirdly, a question for each of us. How are we using our manna? First, some lessons from the manna. The God providing manna in the, in the wilderness for his people, the Hebrews, teaches us of God's care for us. The people of Israel learned through this, God is our God, and we are his people. And they learned that their God would work to provide for them. Just think of the care that God showed to that, that whole multitude there. Every single one of them was provided for personally by God. Every morning, there was the correct amount supplied for each individual. The heavenly supplies were always close at hand. They were always exactly at the spot where they pitched their tents and where they spent the night. God cares. He not only cares for us every moment, but He's tracking our steps. And He's looking out for our needs. Manna shows us the, the mind-boggling greatness of God's provision. You get an idea of that by the incredible amount of the manna that He had provided. It's estimated that there were up to two and a half million Hebrews traveling in the desert. Exodus 12, 37, you do a little math, you can kind of, kind of figure that out. And each one of them received about a two-liter container of manna every day, six days a week, for 40 years. That's a lot of manna. One smart mathematician figured it would be 312 semi-trailer loads of manna every morning. 
Picture that. And keep in mind that, that this abundance happened while they're traveling in a dry, barren desert, not in a lush green area. Every morning, it's estimated 12.5 million pounds of manna appeared on the desert floor. And all they had to do is go out and gather it. It was there. All they had to do was go out of their, their tent flap and, and go and get it. And the price was right. What did they have to pay for that? It was free. They didn't have to pay for it. Just, just like our Bibles. If you want a fancy Bible, you have to pay lots of money for it. But you can get Bibles free. Free. And salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is free. The bread of life is free. And, and manna was delicious. Children, it, it says it tastes like wafers made with honey. They were sweet. It was so good. God didn't give them junk food or fast food. He rained down bread from heaven. Well, bread from heaven must have been delicious to the taste. The psalmist in Psalm 78, you know what he called it? Angels' food. They ate angels' foods. Psalm 78, verse 25. Food that, that falls from angels' tables must be so good. And, and God's manna will always satisfy. It was always exactly the right amount. Verse 18 says, He that gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. The manna was exactly the right amount to satisfy their hunger. And God's Word and Christ's presence will always be enough to satisfy our spiritual hunger. The promises made in Philippians 4, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. And how? By Christ Jesus. It always comes back to that one person, the bread of life, Christ Jesus. And you know that manna, it didn't look like anything special. It was just a small round thing, it says in the Bible. Smaller than a pea. It was a little bit like hoarfrost. And even though it seems insignificant, just like the, the words on the page of a Bible can seem insignificant, yet that manna had an unseen power. It would feed them and sustain them all day long and just... just the same way, just a little bit of God's Word contains unseen power. If in your daily Bible reading, you pick that up, and you commit it to your memory, and you, you plant it in your soul, you will find your spiritual hunger being satisfied, and your strength being renewed. If you do like David did when he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, the result will be the same. 
that I might not sin against thee. That manna taught the people humility. It was always on the desert floor, on the ground. You can imagine children that is right coming out of his tent in the morning, having to stoop down to pick it up. Maybe even down on his knees to to gather the sufficient manna for his family. And that's the way the Lord wants us to gather our heavenly food, the manna from the Word of God. To gather it on our knees, prayerfully, stooping low with humility, scooping it up, as it were, and tasting it. Oh, may the Word of God always be sweet to our taste. One final lesson from the manna. It came from the Holy Spirit. You know that before the manna formed, there was a heavy dew that would come from God. And and that dew represents the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reveals the Word of God. He's the one who applies the Word of God. And the Word and the Holy Spirit need to go together. I read it a statement from an old Southern Baptist preacher. I don't know exactly how accurate the first part is, but the rest of it is true. He said, if you have the Holy Spirit without the Word, you would blow up. But if you have the Holy Spirit, but if you have the Word without the Holy Spirit, you would dry up. But if you have the Word and the Holy Spirit, you will grow up. The Holy Spirit all by Himself, we couldn't handle that. We would blow up. The Word by itself, we just dry up. But together, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you will grow up. Is there anyone here who does not have a Bible? We all have the Word of God already, don't we? Think how many Bibles are in your home. I don't even know how many there are in my home. But we all have Bibles. But do we all have the Holy Spirit? We need both. And you know that God has already given you the Word and all you have to do to get the Holy Spirit too is ask God for him, and he will give him to you. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. My heavenly Father will give his Holy Spirit to them that ask him. So you can go to that heavenly Father today and say, and tell him, Father, you have given me my Bible, thank you so much. May I have the Holy Spirit too? And he says, he will give him to you. And we need both. Anyway, we need to move along. Fresh manna every day. That's our second thought. Our Lord wants us to have fresh manna. When, when God fed the Israelites manna in the wilderness, there were some, we read about them, who, who tried to save up some of it for the next day. But it didn't keep. 
It began to stink, and, and it bred worms. We can't live on yesterday's blessings. Some people think that when, when they have found God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't need to seek the Lord anymore. But that's just wrong thinking. No, it's true we don't have to produce our daily bread, but we do have to go out and gather it. God is not a God of idleness or laziness. Those Israelites were up early to gather the manna that fell in the morning. If they waited until the sun got hot, we read it in verse 21, then it melted. It was gone. It disappeared. And, and they would go hungry. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. At the earliest opportunity of the day, whatever that earliest opportunity for you is, if you don't move when, when the opportunity presents itself, you will miss out on God's best. If we fail to read the Word of God and, and seek that fellowship with the Lord God at the beginning of the day, if you're like me, you will find it almost impossible to make up that loss at another time of the day. If we get a blessing from, from God through the Word of God today, it won't sustain us tomorrow. What it will do is, is give us hunger for more. Every day, we need more wisdom and grace from God. Every day, we need more forgiveness from the Lord. Every day, we need strength for the day. We need fresh manna from heaven every day. Every day, we need fresh experiences of God's grace. When we're discouraged, the Word of God will encourage us. When we're spiritually tired and weary, the Word of God will revive us. When we've lost our desire to go on, the Word of God will give us a new purpose. When we're young Christian believers, the Word of God will train us correctly as we sang together from the Psalter. And if we're strangers to the grace of God, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to work regeneration. Now, to have and enjoy the renewed life that God wants us to have, we need new grace every day. We need to develop a life of relying on this God. The Lord Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Jesus says that from heaven. You remember in Exodus 16, God had told Moses to put some of that original manna into a jar and put it into the Ark of the Covenant for the generations to come. And here, Jesus tells us that that sacred portion symbolizes eternal life. This manna symbolizing eternal life. And it will be given to those who overcome sin by God's amazing grace. I will give that hidden manna to them, says Jesus. That's why we need this fresh manna every day. About a hundred years ago, 
There was a very wealthy businessman who had only one son. And that son was, was undisciplined. He, he couldn't keep a job. And his father put him on, on a yearly allowance. And he would pay it to him on New Year's Day. Every year he would give him a check for the whole year. Here's what you get to live on. But the father noticed that the son only came to see him on New Year's Day to pick up his check. That's the only time he needed his father. And his father missed him, and he was sad. And one year, the, the son showed up on New Year's Day, and he received a very small check. It was only one-twelfth of, of what he was used to getting. And he said to his father, well, what, what's, what's up with this? This check is really little. Don't you care if I don't have enough to eat? And his father says, well, it's not because I don't care, but because I do care about you. I'm, I'm restructuring this so, so that your payment comes once a month and, and you have to come and see me once a month now and spend time with me every month if you want to get your check. At first, the son was very angry. But after a while, after a few months of spending time with his, with his father, he realized how much his father loved him. And his heart went out again to his father and, and eventually his father became his best friend. And it changed his life to a life of honor. That's a picture of how God is treating us. Why does God require that we go to him every day to get our daily manna? Is it because he's mean? No. It's because he loves us and wants to spend time with us and wants us to spend time with him. And the only way that's going to happen is, is by being in his presence and children, how do we come into the presence of God today? We do that by being in the Word of God, by reading our Bibles. And the more you read your Bible, the more you prayerfully turn to God to, to bless that Bible and to bless your reading and to give you the Holy Spirit, you will begin to love that Bible. You'll be like a little girl I know who's four years old and who has a little blue Bible. And she will not go to sleep at night until Daddy has read the Bible to her. She can't read a word herself. But she loves the Bible. And she has to have it every day. I met a young lady at an airport many years ago who, who walked around hugging her Bible. She's had her Bible, just hugging that Bible. And the elder I was with went up and asked her, what, why do you do that? She said, well, I love this book. I'm, I'm a new Christian, and somebody gave me my very own Bible. And I love this Bible because God speaks to me through this book. Do you love your Bible like that? If you love it, You'll be reading it because you know that's, that's my food. That's what I need, and I need it every day. Every day this Bible speaks to me of Jesus, and I need Jesus more and more each day. So that brings us to our third thought this morning, and that is the question, how are we using our manna? 
How are we reading our Bibles? The elders were talking a little bit this morning about J.C. Ryle some of his writings, and I gleaned much of this from, from something J.C. Ryle wrote a long time ago. How are, how are you reading your Bible? You know, you, you might have an extraordinary education with lots of degrees and yet not be saved. If, if you die ignorant of Bible truths, you die miserably. Or it may be that you are uneducated and yet saved. But one thing is for sure, without Bible knowledge, you will never be saved. Woe to the person who dies in ignorance of the Bible. And knowing that this Bible knowledge is necessary How are you reading your Bible? There's no book that has ever been written the way the Bible was written. And that's because the words you read in the Bible are the very words of God. God spoke those words. Yes, it's written by 40 different, 40 some different authors, maybe more, and and over a space of 1,500 years, and and most of them never saw each other face to face, and yet there's a perfect harmony among all those writers. This this book has been in the world for about 2,000 years, and in all that time, no one has discovered a defect, a contradiction in the Bible. It's not there. The enemies of the Bible have attacked it in vain, but there it stands. And and that's because it's the book of the world. The Holy Spirit who formed the world inspired this book. The the God who made all the nations of one blood and, and who knows our common nature with every other human being wrote this book. This is the book for every human heart. Because he who dictated it, who inspired it, he alone knows all the hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And he knows that all of our hearts require cleansing by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the book of God. It is the book of Jesus. It is the book of the Holy Spirit. How are we using it? How are we reading this book? Or must I change the question for some of you maybe? Are you reading this book? Is it your daily manna? There's no book that, that contains such important matters as the Bible does. Only the Bible explains the beginning and the end of the universe. Only the Bible gives a true and faithful account of man, and it shows us to be a corrupt human being. If we're left to ourselves, we are corrupt, and we will, we will hate God, and he, we will hate our neighbor. And only the Bible gives us a true vision of God. By the Bible, we know that this God can hate sin 
and love sinners. That's the kind of God the Bible reveals. Only the Bible teaches us that God has made a full and perfect and complete provision for the salvation of fallen man. Only the Bible tells us that of the atonement that has been made for the sin of the world by the sacrifice and death of God's own beloved Son on the cross. You read the Bible, read the first four books of the New Testament, and you have four beautiful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ painted before our eyes. And how blessed are the hopes the Bible holds out to to those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. All those blessings, all those hopes are written in the book. In the book in which every word is true. How are you reading this book? Are you reading it, soaking it up, knowing this is God's word to me? God is speaking to me. Yes, to me. And no other book can do so much for for everyone who reads it rightly. No, this book does not teach you all the wisdom of this world. It's not going to be teaching you astronomy or math. Reading this book and studying it carefully is not going to make you a doctor or a lawyer or an agriculture specialist. But you see, there's, there's another world. Besides the world in which we live, There are other interests besides those of the body. And that is the interests of the soul. And that's what the Bible promotes. The interests of our immortal souls. This is the only book that can say of itself, I am able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is the book that shows you the way that leads to heaven. I am the way, says Jesus. This is the book that teaches you everything you need to know. Everything you need to believe. Everything you need to do. It shows you who you are. A sinner. It shows you who God is. Perfect and holy, and righteous, and just. And it shows you the great giver of pardon, and peace, and grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible, applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit, is the great instrument by which souls are born again. That begins conversion. It's the chief means by which we are built up and established in the faith after our initial conversion. But it will not do us any good unless we read it. And unless we read it with humility and earnest prayer. If you're reading this book without profit then the fault is not in the book. No gift of God is so awfully neglected and abused as the Bible is. 
if, if there's one charge that can be made against the, the church as a whole in this world, I hope it's not true for this church. It is the charge of neglect and abuse of the Bible. There are more Bibles in the world today than there ever have been. People have many Bibles. But I fear that we, we are in a danger of forgetting that to have the Bible is one thing and to read it is quite another thing. And by talking to a lot of young people over the years, and I think it reflects on older people too, I am more and more persuaded and afraid that the Bible of many professing Christians in Reformed churches too is rarely or never read at all. I spoke with one young person who said the only time that he heard the Bible read in the past week was when the pastor read it in church on Sunday morning. A young man from a Christian family. Many Christians are not reading their Bibles. And, and many don't read it rightly. Many people are neglecting their Bible. Imagine if, if the Israelites neglected the manna, what would have happened? They would have died. They would have starved to death. That's what happens when we neglect God's Word. And, and, and I know, I know we are so busy. Right? That's usually what happens if people say, well, I, I'm not reading my Bible enough. And you ask a little bit, well, why is that? Well, because I'm so busy. So busy with life. And it's true, some of us are so busy with life and, and even doing things, good things, right? Not necessarily bad things, but then you are neglecting the very thing that God plainly commands. Read my word. It's food for our souls. How are you using your manna? How are you reading your Bible? You know, the, the Bible is, is the only rule by which all questions of faith and practice can be tested for a Christian. The Lord God, He knew the weaknesses and the infirmity of, of His people in the desert. And He knows the weakness and infirmity of our poor, fallen understandings. The Lord God knows that even after receiving grace... Our perceptions of right and wrong can be so blurry and fuzzy. And knowing all that, the Lord has mercifully provided us with an unerring standard of truth and error, and right and wrong, and good and evil, and beauty and ugliness. And He has taken care that it was written in a book that we may have. And so we must have the Bible alone as our rule and guide for faith and life. And we must receive nothing and believe nothing that's not according to the Word. We must try all spiritual teachings by one simple test. 
And that is to ask the question, does it line up with what the Bible says? What does the Scripture say? In the Old Testament, they said, to the law and to the testimony. And they say, to the law and to the gospel. What does the Bible say? doesn't matter what other people may think is right and wrong. But let's always ask, what does the Bible say about this particular thing, whether it is right or wrong? How are we using our manna? How do we read our Bibles? You know, the Scripture is the book that, that all the true servants of God have always lived on and loved. There's never been a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether that was an older person or a younger person or maybe even a child, who did not love the revealed will of God. Just, just like a newborn child naturally desires milk for, for its nourishment, so a soul that's born again desires the sincere milk of the Word. That's a common mark for all the children of God. They delight in the Word of the Lord. They delight in the Holy Scriptures because they know that's my food. That's where the bread of life is. That's where I may feast on the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, if you think of the patriarch called Job, the book has many chapters, and yet we really don't know all that much about Job himself. But one thing stands out very clearly about Job. And he says it in chapter 23, verse 12. I have esteemed the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. Do you think about that? Is that true for you and me too? The words of God's mouth that he's written on his, on his, in this book. I esteem them more than my necessary food. He loved the Word of God. Love for the Word, you see it also in, in the Apostle Paul and his companions. They were men mighty in the Scriptures, the Bible says of them. And love for the Word appears most clearly in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, how often he read the Word publicly. He quoted it continually. He's always expounding the Word he, he advised the Jews to search the word because he said, that word testifies of me, of Jesus. And, and he used the word as his weapon to resist the devil. Every time the devil came and tempted him, he said, no, devil, it is written. And he kept saying over and over, the scripture must be fulfilled. Oh, Jesus loved the word of God. And the last thing Jesus did, almost the last thing, was to open the understanding of his disciples so they could understand the Scriptures. Do you find when you read your Bible sometimes that it's just same old, same old. It just leaves me cold. It happens. It happens. I found this quotation of, of an old poor saved slave on a plantation in years gone by. Speaking of his Bible, he said, It is never old and never 
cold. What a blessing to so see your Bible that it's never old and never cold. All, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are born of one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They read one holy book, their Bible. They feed on one bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, the manna from heaven. How you read your Bible is a reflection of what you think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the manna from heaven. The only, the only food to sustain us in the wilderness of this life on earth. And the Bible is the only book that can comfort us in the last hours of our life. Death is a solemn event. Even for a believer in the Lord Jesus. Yes, it's true. The Bible says that, that the sting of death has been taken away. And, and in a certain sense, death is, is a privilege for a believer because Scripture says we are Christ's. Living or dying, writes one of the epistles, we are the Lord's. If we live, Christ lives in us. And if we die, we go to live with Christ forever. For us to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's true for every believer. Yet even to a believer, death is a solemn thing. And there's only one fountain of comfort for a man drawing near to his end. And that is the Bible. Chapters from the Bible. Verses from the Bible. Statements of truth taken out of the Bible. Books con containing matter drawn from the Bible. They're, those are the only source of comfort when it comes to our death. An old elder once told me, he said, Jan, I have had many, many precious times with the Lord. He's blessed me so richly. But when I come to die, I think the only thing that I can hang on to is the promises of the Word of God. That's what I will cling to. The promises of the Word of God. That was his comfort in life, those promises. And he knew that would be his comfort in death. That man died with Alzheimer's. In the end, he didn't even know this anymore. But because it was true in his life, we, we know the Lord never forsakes the works of his own hands. So it was true in death too. One servant of the Lord said, I will never forget standing by the bedside of my dying mother. Are you afraid to die, mother? I asked her. And she said, no, not at all. But, but why does the uncertainty of another state not give you concern, mother? Because, she said, God has said, fear not. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. 
And I believe that promise from God who cannot lie. The only comforter for a deathbed is this book applied by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we are all dying. Every single one of us here is dying. We're in the process of dying. We don't know when, when that final breath will be, but we are all dying. And, and surely a dying person in a dying world should seriously consider whether he has anything to comfort him when he has to breathe his last breath. What will it be? It will be the holy word of God, the manna from heaven, the written word of God, and the Son of God. That is all that can sustain us. But that's all we need. And it's available freely. Come to me, says the Lord Jesus Christ, all you who labor. And we're all laboring. And all who are heavy laden, we're all heavy laden. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest for your soul. And the only reason we know that, because he has told us that in the Holy Bible. How are you reading your Bible? Amen.